shit And his tax to no end Calls the rich man Calls the rich man I wish politicians Look out for miners And not just miners On an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to eat And the Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my two co-hosts, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Today we got a little different episode for you, for episode 262 on our network. Uh, the two guys are going to go back and forth with some topics that are really uh, been, been in and around the new changing game of baseball. And uh, these guys are in the game and been around the game for decades and have a lot of good insight into the number of things that we're seeing as fans, as former players, coaches, et cetera. So we're going to let them have at it today, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, but before we begin and introduce our, our two stars of the show here, just want to thank our 43,000 subscribers right now. Uh, very excited to hit 74 countries, grassroots to MLB front offices. Make sure you keep following those instructions I give you because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like we do in baseball. Give these guys five stars today. Write a great comment about the, the commentary. We want to see how you like this format. I think you're going to love it. Uh, the way these two guys go at it before the show um, and in, in private phone calls, I always joke. I said, that's the show. Um, almost like Seinfeld, right? It's a, it's a conversation. And it, certainly this won't be a show about nothing. Uh, but I, I, uh, I caution the audience as well. I said, these two guys are common sense baseball, as it says in the title. But common sense isn't very common anymore. So buckle up and, and enjoy Mark Wiley and Will George. Guys, welcome back to your show. Great to be here. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. Yeah. So kind of yeah. want to – oh, go ahead, Mark. No, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, I just wanted to kind of set you guys up to get rolling here. Um, the audience has, has enjoyed listening to you guys pull things out of guests, but today you guys are going to – they're going to be privy to some of the conversations that I get to be a fly on the wall about, about baseball. So um, I'll kind of set you guys up and let you go in the direction you want to go. But, you know, the, the, the game like life is always changing. Um, you know, we've, we've accepted changes in the games for so long and we've appreciated some of them, but nowadays it almost seems like there's change for the sake of changing and, and that's never good for anybody. So Mark, kind of toss it at you first and, and just kind of see what, what you're seeing out there that, uh, either proves my point or disproves my point in regards to change for the sake of changing. What do you like and what are you not liking? Well, I, I think that, that. We've seen incremental changes and small changes. It just seems to me, like you said, there's more change for the sake of changing. You know, um, you know. I heard a good statement the other day, and it made a lot of sense to me. It was, it's okay uh, to think out of the box, but don't forget what the box is for. And I thought it was a really good comment, and it related to baseball and my views on baseball today. Um, there's so much reinvention and some of the reinvention is personally motivated by people that have agendas, um, either to amplify the importance of their job or to make a statement and try to have a legacy, uh, uh what their position is. Give some example, um, give an example. I don't, I don't think baseball is that way. I think that, that speeding the game up is, is, is and and I hear it all the time. They ask, oh I you know I I, I kind of like the new clock and everything. Well, you know we've talked about it in the past. Uh, the game can be run quicker just by the umpires enforcing the rules, but now we have to have a clock for the umpires to look at to make their judgment. Um, that is another area where there's no feel, no feel for umpires to have a feel for the game. Uh, they're being told everything to do, just like so many of our players are being told what to do without having any uh, any of their own thoughts involved in it, you know. And, uh, you know, the game changed dramatically, obviously. Um, you know, one of the first things was that that the radar game for the for, – I mean, the radar gun came into play with pitchers. And uh, – you know, the technology, sure, there's analytics now that's changed it. But the very first was the radar gun. And and here's a here's an idea of uh, they're trying to sell us 
on how hard these guys are throwing. And sure, there's more guys throwing a little harder than before, but the technology's changed. You know, when it first started, it was out of the hand, the same pitch out of the hand at 90 miles an hour on a Jugs uh, stock. I mean, on a Stalker Pro 2 is 95 miles an hour. So what's that tell our fans? It tells our fans that, you know what, uh, they're, they're increasing uh, the number to make it look better. Will, do you have some feelings on that? Yeah, I, you know, I still use on my stalker gun uh, the roll down, which gives you the ball out of the hand and at home plate. And I have had over the years guys throw, have 10 and 12 mile per hour roll down, which tells me their ball does not have good carry through the zone. And inevitably, those seem to be the guys who we see pitching in the big leagues that have six ERAs and they don't command their fastball, but they're throwing 96, 97 miles per hour and the ball just doesn't have any finish. They see it well out of their hands. All the things that actually make a pitcher a pitcher aren't being looked at. We're just chasing uh, a, a couple of, uh, shiny objects that we think are going to make a pitcher a pitcher spin rates and high, higher velocities and uh and uh, uh tunnel breakage or whatever they you, you know the different technology that they use you know uh, mark you had a great curveball your curveball came out of the same tunnel as your fastball to use a big word now it just came out of the same release point it looked like your four seam fastball that's why it was such an effective. Yeah, and, and and if it would, if they wouldn't, they would have hit it more. You yeah, know? I exactly. mean, that 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 kind of told me I didn't you know need to know the spin rate. I knew what a good one looked like, and right. I know I saw the reaction right. uh, of a hitter when you threw a good one. Well, right. you brought up a point before the show. I think it's interesting to share with the audience about how. I mean, you're, you're running analytics through your head. Um, you, you were talking it out loud, based on how you judge the uh, the velocity out of the hand. Yeah, and, well, and, 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 and explain that process and what you yeah, see. Yeah, you, you know, it was funny uh, when we first started digging into analytics. Our pro scouting director called me, John Weil, who we had on earlier, and said, "You know, you've always kind of seen spin rate," and it was because, you know, Mark, we we with the Orioles used the ray gun, so our velocities were always at home plate. So I always used the feature that gave you out of the hand and at home plate because I wanted to see in the hitting zone what the velocity was. That's the most important thing. And then, then it also equates into movement and life and finish. And what I saw was the guys who had the, the smaller roll down from out of the hand to home plate those are the guys who had the higher spin rates and better carry through the zone. And that deception to the hitter made them better than the guys who had the larger uh, roll downs. As you well, yeah, yeah. carry as well. What was that? You mentioned something about being able to judge carry on the ball. Well, you know, it, 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 it just, you know, carry was, you know, things that we saw in, and guys like uh, Chris Young that we've talked about, Sid Fernandez, guys who pitched up in the strike zone at a not at a high velocity, but the hitters just could not catch up to it. And you know, we saw it with our eyes, and they were they've been able to assign something to it. And what it is is it's a high spin rate. Um, usually, there's good extension on the front side, where the release point is a little bit out further out front. And all of that equates into deception that people like Mark and I and most of the older scouts, you know, you know, the old saying uh, was the, the hitter will tell you who can pitch and who can't. You know, when you're getting people out and there's a lot of weak contact and a bunch of swing and miss, that guy's a pretty good pitcher when you're going through a lineup. And versus just looking at a radar gun and going, why, this guy's really good. Well, no, he's got a six ERA and he gave up five straight doubles. <laughs> you know, uh, you know how, yeah. If, 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 if velocity was so important, extreme velocity, then you wouldn't 
have guys have success that don't have extreme velocity. So yeah, I, isn't yeah. the game to get people out and to win games? I mean, it's, it's not, it's not to throw hard. I mean, it's nice if you have that in your tool chest, but you don't have to have it. And I think too many people are thinking, especially parents today, they think their kids can't be successful unless they do throw hard. Thus they go to the camps and these, and these, and these teachers that try to throw, show you how to throw harder. Well, and they spend a lot of time, not just throwing a baseball, but with weighted balls and uh, vibration sticks. Um, you know, we all love Alan Yeager stuff. That's all you really need to do to build flexibility and strength in your shoulder and your elbow and all those things. But, you know, we're doing all that heavy overload stuff as well, plus in the weight room, plus all the other stuff we're doing. And we're not just throwing enough. You know, you know, the old days of, you know, guys like Bob Feller going out and throwing and Nolan Ryan going out and throwing and having strong legs and running. You know, those are the things you need to stay healthy. It, it, you know, you don't need to be on weighted balls and doing doing that every day that I see these kids. I, you know, you, you worry about it. And, you know, you know, we just saw uh, Otani go down again and somebody posted on Twitter just last week. I wish I would have saved it all the different things that he was doing. I mean, he was not only pitching, DHing, playing first base, throwing bullpens. He was still doing uh, the, 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 the vibration stick, the weighted balls, the, the bands, probably going in the weight room and lifting. You know, no wonder, you know, at a certain point, how much is enough to, to do? You know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, scientifically – Scientists have looked at physical activities, you know, uh, that people engage in, uh, especially competitive, uh, high level world class and doing the activity itself is by far the best thing. Right. Better than any other training device or technique or drill doing the actual thing. And in pitching, it's even more important because that's the only way you uh, sir, uh, re uh, learn to have feel, learn to evaluate a hitter's reaction to a pitch, learn the value of location uh, uh, of a pitch, uh, you know, by doing it in a competitive situation. Um, and the next best thing is to do it, you know, from the, from the mound to a catcher, uh, uh, maybe without a hitter there, and it goes down to that. And I think down down the road, the the lifting weights and drills and weighted balls and and vibration sticks; those are way down at the bottom for me. Well, and 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 I think anecdotally, and anyone with any common sense and looks goes into Major League Baseball, looks at the injured lists, say the less baseball activity we are doing, which is the truth, we see it. And the more sidebar weightlifting and other things that aren't your actual baseball movement is not helping us be any healthier, might be making us stronger, but we're not healthier to play a baseball season, 162 games. Do you, do you think you guys spoke about this before the show also, do you think some of these changes, whether it's these quick fixes to try to make people better baseball players, as opposed to just playing baseball to get stronger in baseball, do you think these quick fixes um, have caused us to lower the bar or have we lowered the bar um, because of these on pitchers, let's say? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, I see, um, you know, as an industry, we went away from true 12 to 6 curveballs, which to me, um, guys who had good 12 to 6 downer curveballs always seemed to be the guys who struck out the most amount of hitters with depth. And we went to uh, taking a shortcut to have a manageable breaking ball you could just throw for a strike instead of taking the time to develop the good curveball and be able to throw it for a strike and learning how to tighten it up 
and uh, have two different maybe looks on it uh, as far as a get it over a put away breaking ball. Those are, you know, those are the things that we seem to stop, you know, to get away from and just have like a manageable strike pitch. And then, and, 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 you know, then the new one that we went to is, was the sweeper, you know, that everybody started throwing um, visibly to an iPad um, wider and wider breaking balls, which to me has not made the pitchers any better at all. When we look at the numbers. What about in terms of like, demands on a pitcher total, you know, starts in a season innings pitched pitches in a game. Um, we we've seen that diminish over time as well. The demands we place on a pitcher. Uh, yeah. I, you know, Mark, yeah, Mark, you, you know, you, you put it extremely well um, in that text, I think with Ruben and I, the other day talking about, you know, how we've taken away greatness Looks like Mark put himself on mute here. Um, okay. What? What? Um, uh, will, you, will you spoke? This. This. this gener- I'm sorry. Uh, the, this generation of starting pitchers work less than any other generation that's ever been in the big leagues. They throw less innings, less games, less pitches thrown, and they have more off days. I mean, so why are we having all these injuries? Right. So why don't we go back and look at all the extra stuff we're doing? And put the real weight on that as as being a real reason why this there's injuries. You right. know, sure, kids grow up and and they're not taught or trained to go nine innings anymore. Why? Right. Because it's more of a maximum effort, uh, more of a maximum effort game because they have inflated the value of velocity and bat speed. They've right. inflated it. It's always been there when guys had it, but not everybody has it. Everybody's trying to achieve this, you know, tremendous velocity in the fastballs. Guys that could never control it, cannot stay healthy doing it, are doing it. And that's part of the reason why we're having so many injuries for me. No, there, that's no doubt. You know, and, and velocity doesn't doesn't equal success. You know, we had Leo Mazzoni on talking about Maddox and Glavin and uh, John Burkett, uh, guy, guys who weren't extremely hard throwers, Denny Nagel, the years that those guys had, had, you know, Mark, and I, you know, I always go back to that 1985 John Tudor season, you know, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I believe I read somewhere that, that in that 1985 season, first of all, he won like 18 or 19 games in a row. And I believe he had, more shutouts in that season than like uh, Scherzer and Verlander combined have ever had in a season. And here was a guy that threw on the old Ray gun, 82, 84 miles per hour, but he had a plus change up. He had a plus curveball that was kind of slurvy, but it had really good late depth and he had great command and he knew how to pitch. Yeah. I, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's beyond me, but the, like you said, Mark, you know, the lowering of the bar of greatness, um, the number of kids that I've seen taken out of no hitters after five innings where they don't get to celebrate that special moment where they have a low pitch count, but because they're on this restrictive pitch count, you don't get to go see them throw that no hitter. That was the the joy that I told you guys I had watching Michael Lorenzen throw a no hitter in Philadelphia two weeks ago. Can can you guys pinpoint history when this all started? Because this is this sounds like it's you know, we're we're getting we're, we're getting around it or we're getting to it, but this is analytics type decisions that no, being made. When did this start? I mean, can we pinpoint it in history? It's 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 snowballed well, over about the last five to eight years, I would say, you know, where all of a sudden you started hearing that, well, nobody can go through a lineup three times. What? You can't go through a lineup three times. (laughs) You look at it this way. In 2011, there were 173 complete games. In 2022, 10 years later, there's 36. Okay. Wow. Uh, There are... uh, in, ni- in 2011, the major league leader with complete games was 11. 
Now no one has double figures. And in 2022, six games were completed. And there's been no more than six since 2011. Right. I mean, by an individual guy. It's so rare because of that. You know, like, and I want to flash back to something else that contributes things that fans don't, I know they don't think about. Okay. You have all these great records by Ted Williams and Hank Aaron and, and, and Babe Ruth and all these records that uh, are held in high esteem. How many of those hitters had protective equipment? None. You know, like fear was always part of the game. That's why hitting was so the hardest thing to do in sports. Right. When, when you're not protected and you're standing up there, I think, I think, babe, I think Ted Williams used to have put a little scully underneath his, in his helmet, in his hat, oh, which yeah. would have done nothing. And before that, they had no helmets. Now, I'm not saying we should not have helmets. Don't get me wrong. But all the other protective equipment, the, the wrist, the arm, the forearm, the leg. I mean, are you kidding me? I will tell you a story. My daughter was doing, she wanted to do a, a, a presentation in high school at one of her classes uh, about protective equipment and uh, in baseball. And so I was the big league pitching coach for the Marlins at the time. So I asked our equipment guy to give me all the protective equipment. So I was at home and I said, here, have one of the kids put this equipment on and, uh, and show what it was like and then show pictures of players in the past with no protective equipment on. And she said, well, daddy, how do you put it on? I said, oh, okay, here, I'll show you. So I put all this protective equipment on. Now you have to realize I hadn't played in years, right? I hadn't batted in even more years. And I put this equipment on and I looked, I looked in the mirror and I go, oh my God. I always had fear of hitting. Right. I said, I'm not afraid at all with all this stuff on. And I never even thought about the ramifications. And uh, it's, it's unbelievable. Those are things that fans don't think about. Those guys held these records that will never be broken now, not only because of the way the game's played, but also because, you know, if they do break them, they're going to be tainted. These guys never had to go through the same procedures that these other guys did. Well, I I can remember uh, when I was with the Marlins, we played the Giants in the first round of the playoffs in 97, and then we advanced the Giants. So Barry Bonds is in the middle of that lineup. And, you know, you're watching guys go in, just try to keep them honest a little bit. And they would throw fastballs literally – right underneath his elbow that were strikes because he hung out over the plate. But because he had an elbow pad and he was Barry Bonds, they were never called a strike. And you would go, you know, he has no fear because he was one of the first guys to wear that big elbow pad because he literally had his hands hanging out over the plate. You know, it would have been fun to watch Bob Gibson throw against Barry Bonds. Well, you know, I will I will go back and tell you what I used to tell my pitchers at times. If you have a guy that's got an elbow pad and he intentionally doesn't get out of the way of the ball and allows it to hit the elbow pad, the next time he comes up, you hit him where he has no pad. Right. And then when he walking down to first base, go get the ball from the umpire and make a comment, I thought you'd like to get hit. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's ways we, you can control that. Right. And you know, it's sad that you have to, but there are guys that do make a living at times off getting hit on purpose with the pads they have. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, as far as lowering the bar, we were kind of chatting there. How is that going back to, to that point? We've seen, you know, complete games done, total innings pitch done, uh, lowered. We saw, I think Severino finally threw a good game last night. He got taken out when he was in the middle, middle of a positive start where he probably could have used a few more innings. Right. What, what's the difference between the two mindsets? Because we're talking about hitters now mindset. They've got that pads on going back to, you know, the pitching now, what, what was the mindset of that workhorse that you guys were and that you used to develop as opposed to the guy today? What's the, where, where's, what are we missing here? You well, know, I, I think, think the value to the guy individually 
from a pitcher, starting pitcher's viewpoint, when I played, you know, that was one of the, one of the things I fed off of was the fact that I threw a complete game. Right. Win loss. I, 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 I didn't feel good about losing games. I wanted to win. That was number one. But if I threw a complete game, I lasted longer than the other players, other pitcher on the other team, and we didn't use my bullpen, that was a plus. So I could go home and put my head on the pillow and go, you know, I had tough when I lost that damn game today, but, you know, I did some good things. And I could feed off that for my next start. That's that's how I looked at complete games. I always use that as one of my main things at the end of the season. I wanted to look and see where I stacked up in either all of baseball or in the league that I was in. No doubt. I, you know, I think it gives you confidence uh, to finish what you start. And Dave, I know you've done some analytics and I've never been real good at math, but the more innings my starters pitch, the stronger my bullpen is. And I like, I don't see how as smart as they are, they don't figure that out. And they don't figure out that the team usually that wins the World Series at the end of every season has a very deep starting rotation that's going into the sixth, seventh, eighth inning almost every day. Well, here's, that's a good um, point. I don't that's I, that's common sense. I I think uh, you know it's, with the absence of so many workhorses that can go deep into the games. You know, to your point, wouldn't you think teams would establish stronger back ends? to their rotation with guys that can go two innings um, yeah. at a time. Do we, are you guys seeing an absence of that at all? Because something's got to give. If we're well, not going to have a strong you're, start. You're, abso- you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I, what happened to the three-inning guys? Yeah. You know, I mean, um, you see games all the time where the seventh and eighth inning, the guy six up, six down, and he's out of the game. And maybe they put a closer in that's been struggling. You know, why not right. let the guy ride it out? The other team doesn't feel like they can hit him. He just retired six in a row. Right. You're going to give him a mental lift as soon as you take it, take a guy out. And other times, you got guys that throw the fifth, could throw the fifth, sixth, and seventh, and save one of your bullpen guys for the next day. Right. But he only goes two, so you got to throw another guy in there on the eighth. Right. You know, to me. You want to develop guys that can go three innings in the bullpen, right? Not a batter, or and even more so now that they've changed the rules to where you got to face more hitters. You know, wouldn't it be good to just have a guy you could just leave in for the next inning without even having to put a guy in that's that's inferior? Well, and that you know, Mark, you know, you were in the Orioles organization. That's where I signed the young prospect starters got to the big leagues, not in the rotation in that role, that multiple inning guy, as they cut their teeth in the big leagues, learning how to pitch, learning what the big leagues was about, giving them multiple innings on a night. Somebody maybe got knocked out in the fourth inning and they went three or four innings and, you know, you know, whoever the powers to be in Baltimore goes, you know what, this guy's going to be okay. You know, that Dennis Martinez, that's how he got to the big leagues and ended up being the starter that he did. And other guys like Sammy Stewart, who got there in that role, but Sammy never took the next step to be that starter. But there were guys who um, got to the big leagues, figured out what it was about in that role without a lot of pressure coming into a game and given multiple innings in the middle of the game. And they built on that to become Tremendous major league starters. And that's and that's how when I was coaching, often we had our long men. We called them long men because they, yeah. they could go three or four innings. Yeah. If they had if we had a fifth starter that wasn't real strong and he had two or three bad outings in a row, and this guy came in on the same rotation that he was on, we just stick him in. And I can't tell you how many times we stuck him in the rotation and they stayed and became like an all-star. You know, you know it, that's how that's how you develop. But with analytics now, not only do we take starters out quicker, we take relievers out quicker right. rather than using the eye test and how he's throwing and not worrying about having to use him a day or two later. 
You know, now we're thinking, oh, God, we're going to have to use everybody every game, so I can't throw them too far. Mark, think about 07, how valuable Josh Fogg became for the Colorado Rockies. You're the one National League. Um, He was our sixth starter. You know, he would pick up a start if they needed it, but he was that long guy. And in Coors Field, where you have high-scoring games, maybe your starter gets knocked out in the fourth, he would bridge the gap. So that when we came down to that game 163, he started it. And he pitched a hell of a game because of that's that's how valuable he was. All those multiple innings, all those spot starts that he picked up during the season. You know, I could argue that he was one of our most valuable pitchers that year in that role. Well, you know, the thing is, is that all these things we're talking about actually took place. You know, Rodrigo Lopez became rookie pitcher of the year when he started out in the bullpen for me with the Orioles pitching long man. Right. And he did exactly what I said earlier. He pitched good enough to where he replaced the guy that he was piggybacking with that wasn't doing well. Right. And, you know, when does that ever happen anymore? Very rarely does that ever happen where a guy gets an opportunity because you're either a one inning guy or you're a starter. You know, (laughs) I mean. What's that all about? That's why we need 14 starters. I mean, well, 14 pitchers. Well, and, and 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 that's the thing. And it's more than 14 because when we look at it and Major League Baseball finally put a limit on it. But the ridiculousness of a couple years ago is people were looking at their AAA and big league pitching staff bullpens as about a 17 or 18 man staff that they were shuttling guys back and forth. Okay, you threw two innings today. You're going back to AAA. Yeah, and, and there were only 10 of them. Only 10 of those 17 were really major league pitchers or yeah, maybe less. Yeah, exactly. That was the old Jim Cott thing he told Chris Russo one day. He said, you know, he said, let's make the game seven innings so that a five-inning outing would actually be a quality start. And let's go back to nine or ten pitchers and the other four or five that – that are in the big league, send them back to triple a to learn how to pitch. <laughs> and they, and they, and they've made it harder. They've made it harder to pitch with, yeah. you know, you know, you got smaller ballparks, you know, right. the rules are changing with the bigger bases. Right. Um, you know, all these things are put in there to make pitching harder and give them more of an opportunity to score runs. That's the joke is that, they have to make people steal bases. Well, and they have, and everybody wants to hit a home run because they think they can get paid more. Well, um, you know, our, our our song today, "The Rich Men North of Richmond," yeah. apply to the Major League Baseball office because they are trying to legislate baseball into a better game with their rule changes and the things that they're doing. That's not how this game is going to become better. It's going to become better by the work that's done on the field and the players becoming better at their job and executing. It's you know it's it's it, it, it's individual you know responsibility to become a better baseball player, not to have rules. You know, pretty soon, extra innings are going to put a runner between third and home, and first one that can get in. It'll be like a midway point. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like all the, the, the legislation by people who never been in the game and played the game is not going to make the game better. Well, the the it's real easy to see that performances in the minor league don't always look like cause for promotion, right? But but they are. They're getting promoted. More players are promoted now with terrible minor league statistics, terrible performances. Into That's to show you the quality of the game has changed. Right, right. There aren't that many good players. You know, it, 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 that's why you have all this rotation. It used to be that teams had the same roster – position player and pitchers for most of the year yeah, because they were the best. They were the best and it was hard to break in. Remember those old Oriole teams where 
where Bobby Gritch couldn't get in, Don Baylor couldn't get into the major league team. Right. Because exactly. the team was too good. You exactly. know, that's not the case now. Now you've got guys that we've been playing double A back in the day or in the big leagues. Well, I, I just read somebody just got called to the big leagues and you know, they were hitting two fifty seven and triple A and double A this year. But they were coming off a week that they hit over four hundred. So that's why they're oh well shit, he hit four hundred last week. He's ready for the big leagues. No. <laughs> No, go watch the games I watch, and as bad as the pitching is in the big leagues, the pitching they're facing is even worse. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's really bad. Um, and I always laugh that, you know, I want guys to throw strikes, but I, I want them to have command, some command of that strike zone in yeah. and out of it. You yeah. know, there's guys that don't walk anybody that just get launched all the time. Yes. And you go – Gee, I wonder why he's getting – he's a strike thrower. Well, yeah, he throws too many in the middle of the strike zone. Yes. yes. He throws too many predictable pitches in the strike zone. Right. You know, and and inability to execute, you know, because you still haven't figured out what your best slider is. You get around and throw a flat cement mixer uh, two out of every four that you throw, and you're throwing eight or ten an inning. You're making a lot of flat mistakes, boy. You know, it's, well, let's look at look. Here, here's one thing that's really lost, I think, that's changed. The value of playing in the game to learn the game, right, has changed. Yeah, they players don't play winter ball anymore. No, there's yeah. no competitiveness in instructional league. They limit the innings guys pitch. They limit. They skip starts of guys. They do stuff that doesn't allow anybody to become special. Right. And this is ruining the game. And people, uh, sure, they market. They market stuff. And you look at that. If you want to dig into the marketing, why don't you look and see where that guy compares to other great players in the past? And you're going to go, geez, he's he's really not very good. He, he this guy was a, is the best pitcher of our day, and he never threw hardly any complete games in his entire career. So how do you compare that to Jim Palmer? How do you compare that guy to Jim Palmer or Bob Gibson right. or guys that are were the same level in their era, and they're trying to put these guys in that level with way less right. uh, uh, credentials? No, you know, and I, I always had a theory that, I always felt bad for young infielders who got to the big leagues as a utility player um, and they weren't getting to play regularly. They stagnate in their development and their improvement. Now, I always thought, though, the Latin kid that played winter ball every year, and my example was Mariano Duncan, who got to the big leagues as a utility player, but he loved to play. So he would be there opening day of winter ball and play another 40 games. Well, the next thing you know, Mariano Duncan was a guy that was always on playoff teams as a super utility playing 115, 120 games a year because he continued to play. But that, that, that young kid who gets to the big leagues and doesn't realize that he's not ready and he doesn't go play winter ball and get, keep supplementing those at-bats their development ends up stagnating or, you know, the relief pitcher the same way who is the long man and doesn't get a lot of innings. He needs to go pitch. They got to go pitch in the winter somewhere. That's how they get better. And, you know, and when you, the other thing is we know all about the disabled list, you know, how long some of these guys stay on the disabled list is a whole nother thing. Oh, I know. You know, like they'll have a, a, a pulled groin and they'll be out for three months. Oh, you I know, know. Where I, you know, I had a pool groin. I was out for ten days. I mean, <laughs> come on, let's get real. No, you know, like you know, yet firsthand information. You know, here's a here's a few things that maybe our listeners would uh, they may appreciate or may not. But there's there's not going to be any more thirty five hundred career innings pitched. No, Granky will be the last guy. Yep. Um, there's no more five hundred starts in a career. Soon as Verlander's gone, maybe Scherzer, Grinky, 
it's done. There won't be any more. Uh, 30 plus starts in a season are starting to become more rare. Now, I don't know how that fits when you start to have openers and stuff and you count them as a start. I don't know how that works. Right. Uh, No pitcher will throw 250 innings in a season. Right. Since 1980, uh, Carlton was the only guy that ever threw 300 innings since 1980. Right. How many years that is. Right. In 2004, LeVon Hernandez threw 255 innings. That's 2004. Yep. Only Roy Holiday, who threw 250, had more than 250 innings in a season since wow. 2004. Yeah. 2004. Okay. But these guys are get paid tremendous amounts of money, and 200 innings is supposed to be a big deal. We used to throw 200 innings in the minor leagues in a season right. in four right. and a half months. Oh, well, now. Now, I'm not saying it's a, it wouldn't go down, but this is getting ridiculous when the horses of the game can't throw that many. Well, no they, twenty game winners. There will probably be no twenty game winners ever again. Think about that, yeah. fans. Yeah, and 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 that's a big influence. Is no complete games, right? Because guys are winning in the seventh or inning are taken out, and the game gets blown or tied, and they do no win because right. they didn't get to complete it. Right. No three hundred game winners ever again. Right. In the history of the game, no three hundred strikeouts in a season ever again. Right. You know, rarely does anybody throw over 100 pitches in a game and they do it in less innings than they ever did. Right. You know, there's there's so many more pitches thrown uh, with less command uh, in less innings by more pitchers uh, and there's more injuries. I mean, come on, let's, you know, realism is something you want to face. Even if you're a fan, you kind of want to know what you're looking at, don't you? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And you guys, you guys talked about the value of winter league. Um, what about the value of instructional league to kind of get a oh. lot of these points across? There's been a reduction of the minor league system. The Basically, the, uh, the rookie leagues have been absolved. Um, where, where, what's the value of the instructional leagues to kind of solve some of these problems? Well, you know, as in the major leagues – you know, if you throw 200 innings, you're a freaking monster. In the minor leagues, if you throw 100 innings, all of a sudden, you know, oh. we don't want to throw we don't want to throw yeah. them too many more innings in instructionally. Right. You know, really, you know, and they say, "Oh, he's getting tired." Well, if he's getting tired, we better look at our conditioning program oh. to figure out why the guy's getting tired. Mark, because how, how, you know, <laughs> they throw less games less innings, and they have more days off now. Look at the minor leagues. Will, when you played in the minor leagues, did you have an off day every week? No. We, you know, we, we, we would, you know, after like the f- end of the first half, you had one more off day the rest of the season. You had like five the whole year. The season would end. You get to the, you know, we had good teams with the Orioles. I got to the playoffs a bunch of years. And then I would drive right to instructional league, and we play thirty-five or forty games there, six days a week. You know, it's um, you know, it's just it's just fear. You know, the fear of injuring a player is overriding making the player better or turning the guy into something special. Right, and you know, it's and and I understand ownership looking. And how costly, you know, I've heard, you know, people have explained to me because I, you know, will will raise these questions, you know, workman's comp is extremely expensive. I, I get it. But what we're doing is not working. <laughs> so why don't you maybe reexamine what you're doing instead of saying, well, let's not let's not let them work hard before the game. Let's not let them run let's not let them run ground balls out let's not let the the pitchers throw too many too, it's not working the number of injuries remember back mark about uh, two months ago the number of dl days and the money that it's costing right now is astronomical it's not working yeah it's it's unbelievable i mean today's game okay this year there's been one pitcher that's throwing 119 pitches in a game Right. One pitcher. 
Right. Um, which means most pitchers, the most they're throwing 100. And they're doing that sometimes in six innings. Right. Right. You know, which which goes right back to maximum effort pitches. Right. To achieve strength into the strike zone as as opposed to commanding the ball and making them hit your pitch uh, where they can't can't hit it hard, where you keep a, you change speeds, you do those kind of things. But I, you know, it's it's unbelievable when I see a guy breezing through six innings and he's got eighty five pitches and they're questioning whether they should take him out or not. Right. Well, we can't let like, him go third well, time through, right? No, no. I mean. I will tell you this. Think about this for a minute. In 1988, the average number of pitches thrown were 136.2 pitches in a game. Wow. That's all pitchers pitching in that game. Okay. Now it's 145. Right. This year it's 145 pitches a game with even more pitchers being used, I will say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're increasing the amount of pitches thrown in a game by more pitch and more pitchers throwing. I mean, where's that? How's that work out? No. You know, ERA from <clears throat> '66, which is a long time ago. Sure, it was 2.98 was the ordinate was the deal. That's when they started thinking about changing things with the mound height and stuff. In 2023, it's 4.32 runs a game. So they're doing everything they can, you know, to help the hitters. And by the way they're developing pitchers and using pitchers, they're making that part of the game weaker. Well, you know, you know, the other thing uh, growing up, and I was not a hitter, but I would love to listen to hitting coaches talk because I wanted to know what guys were learning, you know, as a, trying to be a student of the game. I think the game in, in its purity of see the ball, hit the ball, get a good pitch, put a good swing on it, be aggressive, but, you know, learn the strike zone has turned into uh, another thing that has made the hitting worse and also made the game move slower where guys are just trying to see pitches, too many pitches sometimes, taking pitches right down the middle of the plate that, you know, 25 years ago, you know, Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire would hit that ball for a home run because they went up to the plate not to just see pitches and have the pitcher, the starter, throw a lot of pitches. They were going up there to hit. So, like, I, you know, all these things that were trying to play into the game in a way to make guys better, we've lost just the natural – see it and hit it, get a good pitch, put a good swing. Um, a pitcher having uh, – watching hitter reaction and making pitches off of that. All of those things are were just truly instinctual that made the game move along and the cream rose to the top that understood all that has kind of all been tainted by too much, you know, too much analytics almost. Where were all the well, teachers, yeah. guys? I mean, you, you guys are obviously teachers of the game. Uh, the people we have on our other other shows are the same. I think baseball's, and I see it at the grassroots level now more than ever. My kids are at that age. Baseball seems to be very much overcoached and undertaught. What happened to all the teachers? Right. Where are they? Well, you know, I think that the program, it starts in the youth programs. Right. Um, there's not qualified people there. People people go by the advertisement the guy has rather than what his knowledge is. Right. And there's some good programs out there. Um, right. I mean, Dave, you've got one. Uh, we talked to Ruben Amaro Jr.'s brother's got one. There's there's some great programs. Yeah. All over the out country. out there, but but they're they're one of many, a very few of the other ones. They're all for the money. They're all to get the money done. You know, I think that they would vanish if parents did their research. If parents did their research on what really matters, I think I think some of those those fly by night snake oil salesmen uh, would vanish. What matters? What should they look at? 
What matters is that the – go ahead, Will. I, you know, I just think healthy player development, um, teaching guys uh, the little things about the game that make the game uh, a good game, uh, having accentuating what they can do, um, fixing maybe some mechanical flaws but not becoming a robot, uh, play the game to your athleticism, um, and taking teaching moments in games that you don't see happen because we're all chasing all the wrong things. And like you, like you said, Mark, I, you know, years ago I said this, if Major League Baseball truly cared about the game, there would be education programs because there's people all over the country that work in this industry that uh, are scouting and player development people that that are you know working at an wind indoor facility in the winter doing uh, lessons, but people don't know who they are. Um, they go to some guy who's the snake oil salesman because he gives away a nice travel bag and he has six different uniforms as opposed to going someplace where somebody is actually teaching you you know, how to be a, a, a good pitcher, uh, that, you know, you need to, you know, you need to have a good delivery. You got to be able to stay balanced, rhythm and timing, uh, start teaching them how important command and uh, mixing pitches are, uh, starting to, to read hitters a little bit, teaching. You know, none of that is happening because everybody chases the measurables. You know, the fact that we as an industry went to a combine, which is nothing more than a measurable fest. Uh, that shouldn't determine who the first round picks should be and who's a good baseball player. It's playing the game, not the guy who hit the most home runs with the best launch angle and exit velocity with somebody throwing cockshot BP and going, oh my gosh, this guy's got great power. You know, what, what, what was it, Mark, growing up? He's got uh, 5 o'clock power, BP, that's it. He never yeah, hurt you. There's been many guys that name – there's many been many minor leaguers that never made it to the major leagues because they could hit below velocity in batting practice 500 feet but yeah. couldn't, couldn't hit a curveball in a big league game. Right. So, you know, you know it, it's uh, – you know, it's just that, that – you have to find the teachers, you know, like Will said, you know, you have to find these people. They're out there. You can find them if you talk to baseball people yeah. that really know. If if the guy that's recommended to you isn't getting a kickback from somebody to to recommend it, you know, you got to have people that that are invested in making kids better and 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 have no agendas other than that. You know, um, you know, if, you know, if every off season you had uh, uh, a clinic or a uh, an information thing for parents and kids to come to and talk about player development, how important this is more important than this. You know, sitting in a cage and somebody flipping you some balls and hitting off a tee and going over and drinking your Gatorade after every 10 swings is not going to make you a better baseball player from some guy who's really doesn't know what he's doing, but he has a couple toys there that tell you how good your exit velocity is. He has one of those pocket radars to go, wow, you increased from 70 to 72 today. You're really going good. No, well, you know, these, these guys that sell the, uh, sell the snake oil, they get, they get free advertisement from the media. Because the media is perpetuating all this analytics, all these test measurements, as if they're going to make you good. I mean, they don't make you good. Playing the game makes you good and doing the right things. I can tell you from being a big league coach for 17 years that I wanted to find out what the guy, what the pitcher was good at. I wanted to find out what he was good at first so we could use that and build around it. Right. You know, here they're reinventing stuff. They're they're having guys try things and try to create things and pitch shape things that are never going to really work. They're never going to work, but they're going to make it look like I'm doing something to help you. 
No, find out what the guy's really good at, narrow in on it, and build him from around that. And and I can't stress enough playing the game. Right. You know, I, hey, I, I we were talking about the Little League World Series. I have to say I'm very pleased with those commercials they're having on showing how coaches should react and how and and they're making it look making them look bad people that don't know how to act don't know how to teach we need more of that we need that in major leagues we need people in the major leagues talking about the right way of doing things not just getting all caught up in in exit velocity and spin rates. Well, you guys, talk, on that note, talking about players acting too, um, Aaron Judge had a three-home run game last night, and I watched the third home run go out of the park, watched him put his head down, jog around the bases at a pretty good pace, and exit the field at home plate without doing any type of crazy celebration. Did a little bit with, with uh, Giancarlo Stan. They had a high five that they do. And my son just informed me he hit his fourth homer as we're recording the show right now. What about the, the the player type of celebrations? Uh, they see, seem to spend more time choreographing that stuff than actually approach at the plate or pitching approach. Well, it's it's you know I don't know what you can do about that because it's been going on for years. I remember when it kind of first started showing up a little bit, and there were people that actually stepped in and and uh, you know managers that took players out of games uh, said that's not acceptable. Um, over time, it's, uh, it looks like all of it's acceptable, you know, um, you know, it's not considered showing up the pitcher anymore when a guy flips his bat. Um, but I'll guarantee you if a pitcher did something similar to it, everything, all hell would break loose. Right. Yeah. You know, if I flip my glove up in the air after I punched a guy out, how do you think that'd go over, you know, yeah. but with the offense, they allow him to do it. It's showtime. And uh, from an old school guy like me, it really pisses me off. You know, I don't, hey, I can take it if a guy takes me deep and hits it a long ways. Just don't show me up after you did it. These pitchers must not care, though, right, with with what goes on. Because as you said, it's a great point that I didn't think. They're embarrassed. You know, they don't care. They've been engraved engraved to let them do it. It's part of the game. It's part of the game now. You know, that's, you know, we've often talked about widening the plate. That's something that started widening a long time ago and nobody, nobody reined it in. Yeah. You know, know, the the other one is the, uh, the hitters who have body armor, they're diving into the plate because nobody pitches inside effectively anymore. And somebody hits them and they get so pissed off. They end up charging the mound and you're going, are you kidding me? You're, well, how about how about when it's a three ball count and ball four hits the guy and the guy comes out there like he's mad yeah. like the guy was trying to walk him yeah or two strike to count. I've seen it on two strike counts where you know who, yeah. who in the right mind's trying to hit somebody with two strikes exactly I mean th- this is where the game and you know what and the umpires they'll go out there and start yelling at the pitcher. Because they don't know the game. They don't realize the guy wasn't trying to hit him with two strikes. Right. Yeah. You know, that bothered, I saw that start to happen when I was still coaching. I used to go, God, get a feel. I said, the kid's in it. He's a rookie pitcher. Right. We, had a, we had a brawl with the Milwaukee Brewers when one of our young rookie pitchers, and he was all over the place. He had pretty good stuff, but, you know, he not only did he throw pretty good velocity, but – he had movement. He had a lot of movement. And he hit a guy. I think it was it was uh, Melton or somebody was a catcher yeah. with Milwaukee. And, and everything blew up. And I'm like, I go, really? And the umpires are going crazy and everybody's going crazy. And I go, the kid's a freaking rookie. Right. His ball moves all. Have you seen it? Was he commanding the ball from the first inning? No, he hasn't commanded the ball the whole game. And you're going crazy like he hit the guy on purpose. I said, you know, you don't have even have a feel for it. And that happened, you know, that that happened back in the 90s. Yeah. So it started showing up then where you not only had no players with feel, you you had umpires that didn't have, I understand. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's prevalent throughout all phases of the game. At least they're consistent, right, with that stuff? <laughs> you know, well, and, 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 you know, the thing is they have the inflated velocity well, it's, you know, guy get hit by a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. They've been getting hit for, 
by fastballs for years. You know, I, you know, this, this generation really does not throw that much harder than every previous generation. So their fastballs hurt just as much. You know, I've been hit by curveballs. <laughs> they hurt too. It's a baseball. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, we, we've been rolling for about an hour right now. Uh, what, what do you want to leave the audience? Because I think we need to pick this up next week as well. I think this would be – you guys got a lot of good content. We're, we're identifying a lot of issues in the game, and I think we have the abilities here in our little think tank to maybe provide some solutions to the 43,000 that are willing to listen to us. So what, what do we want to leave the audience with today? Well, I think it's really important because, you know, we're trying to reach – People are just starting out in baseball, their parents, and, and help them make better decisions. You know, um, you know they get caught up in the, in the, in the computer world um, and sold by, by there's more camps and labs and clinics now than there's ever been. Um, so it's really important to choose the right people to go to. Right. Um, you know, the game has to be taught in a way that makes sense and doesn't clutter people up with quick fixes and, 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 and eliminate you doing any self evaluation of yourself and relying on somebody else to tell you everything to do. So we have to, we have to push the parents to try to put these kids in programs where they actually learn to think on their own learn to make adjustments, understand the right way of playing the game. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And a great point you made is parents have to be the first educator of their kid. Right. They can't a little blindly. Well, what do you got to, to leave the audience well, with? You know, our show's called Common Sense. Um, we're living in a world where common sense is lost. Uh, people go, oh, well, you know, it's just, uh, you know, you, 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 you're too simple. You know, it, simple's worked for a thousand years. You know, you treat people the way you want to be treated. That's common sense, right? Um, the game is not a, a a highly scientific game. You know, you got to work hard at it. You got to have a passion for the game. Um, become educated. Get people who truly care about your kids. Aren't just in it make to make money. Um, and you know, be genuine, be genuine, uh, as, as a coach and trying to help a kid get better when you see a kid that's trying to get better. And like Mark said, you know, you accentuate what they can do and make it better. You make them the best baseball player they can be and try to develop that passion for the game because that's what, that's what keeps us coming back every week and keeps our conversations that we have. And we love this game. We love the people that we've met in the game. And uh, there's a lot to be said for all that. That's all just common sense. I think, you know, you, you've got to, to become special or to be a competitive player, you know, you got to stay healthy. Yeah. And you have to do things that make sense to stay healthy. Right. Not just jump on the bandwagon on what somebody else says that probably never stayed healthy themselves or never competed like you're competing. Right. So you've got, this all goes back to reliance on common sense. Like we go back to what the name of our show is. It's common sense. Look at something that somebody asks you to do, whether it be training, throwing, whatever it happens to be and evaluate it and, and ask questions. Does it make sense? Right. No doubt. Just remember, common sense in today's world is not so common. So you two are refreshing in your approach to the game and life. And I think our audience gets at knows that. I mean, I guess if you, you throw me in the mix, you have three people on this show that care about the game, that are trying to move the game forward. But we challenge you too. do your own research, challenge us, poke holes in things. But I think you'll find that these two gentlemen are about as good as they come in the business and is about as genuine. So I appreciate you guys uh, bringing in again today and trying a new format with it. I think it's going to I think our audience is going to love this one. And Mark, I've got a, you always start a show with a quote and I had one special for you. Do you mind if I give it to you today? Yeah, shoot. Okay. 
So I don't know where I read this. I'm sure I plagiarized it from somebody. In my mind, I made it up because it's you know, been <laughs> in my mind so long, and, and I'm sure I've used it before. But I wrote this down today. Uh, I put it out there on the table for my kids this morning, and uh, you know, because we're starting to try some new things out with sports and with academics. So there's going to be failure. And my message to them was: do the best you can do. Do the, do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. Ah, that's good. Do the best you can until you know better. Then, when you know better, do better. So uh, that's a great one. That's a great one. Figure it out. Don't ask me. <laughs> and and uh, make your mistakes. Yeah, do better. One. Show me at the end. So you know, one one that always made sense to me is uh, as you're trying to get better, don't be afraid to go backward to go forward. You know, when something might be a little bit uncomfortable. You might struggle a little bit when you first start. Don't quit it, especially when someone that's qualified is telling you this is going to help you become better. I like that's it. the one my wife always says. It's only hard till you learn how to do it. That's right. Yep. That's exactly and, right. It's this podcast, right? We go back to where on episode 262, day one, we all had a hard time figuring out how to yeah. get on here. So that's but, right. Um, and I joke with people, I'm producing nine podcasts with you guys now. And about a year and a half ago, I didn't even know how to listen to one. So we've all come a long way with this. But guys, thanks so much for an awesome show. Day at the Art, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will, episode 262 on Real Voices of the Game Productions. Uh, message to our audience, 43,000 and climbing, 74 countries, hopefully climbing as well. Uh, we appreciate your support. Give these guys five stars today. Write some nice comments for them and certainly engage us. I mean, we can talk about a number of things with, with Mark and Will here. So if you have things that you want to hear them, talk about or questions, concerns you have about your young baseball player or things you're seeing in Major League Baseball, bring it here. I mean, these these guys are qualified to talk about anything and everything in baseball. So, uh, Mark and Will, thanks so much for another great show and look forward to next week. I want to try this again, so you guys are going to have to let me know if you're, uh, if you're ready to take our private conversations off the air to a podcast like we did today. Sounds good. Okay. Well, have a great day, guys. Thanks, Dave. Weekend, guys. You got it. Enjoy our music here. When I can cue it up, right? <laughs> you want me to sing it? We, you can you can sing along here. The rich man. So, working all day, overtime hours, bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to people like me. People like you wish I could just wake up and it not be.